WWE Hall of Famer from the Legion of Doom, Road War Animal. And today, get ready, people, because you can just take a ride, if you're lucky, on the whole train. Today, our guest is none other than the Godfather. So strap it on, and if you get lucky enough, maybe you'll get a ride on that train. Tell him, Hawk! <laughs> He's one half of the Road Warriors and the Legion of Doom, the most successful tag team in the world of professional wrestling. He's held the AWA, NWA, WCW, and WWF titles. He snacked on danger and dined on death. He's Road Warrior Animal, Joe Laurinaitis, and this is the What A Rush Podcast. Now, here's your host, Joe Roderick. And a merry belated Christmas to everybody out there listening. This is the What A Rush Podcast. I am Joe Roderick, joined alongside by the WWE Hall of Famer, Road Warrior Animal, Joe Laurinaitis. What's going on, Joe? Hey, Joe, man. How was Christmas with the family? Man? It was very good. Very, uh, very good Christmas. I, I basically just asked to, I loaded up on gift cards and ordered stuff, so... I guess my Christmas is going to be around January 4th, I think, uh, by all the tracking <laughs> dates. You know, it, it's funny, right? It, sometimes at Christmas you, you get that proverbial present from a distant relative, and you go, oh, wow, this is beautiful. And you, <laughs> and yeah. you never have any use for it, right. you know. But, yeah, I, I had a good Christmas, man. Spent it with the family. It was good. I uh, got to see, you know, some grandkids, and it was, it was pretty much a blast. Worst part about it is, bro, is when I – well, not, you know, I had one of my blow-up things, right, for my yeah. grandson. Yeah, I, I want to let the listeners know. So this is this is Road Warrior Animal we're talking about. He he beat the ass of uh, everybody in professional wrestling for years with Hawk, just going around, jumping people and lifting 600. His front yard looked like, uh, well, the, uh, the the Christmas section of Walmart with the amount of blow-up uh, Christmas decorations. Yeah, bro, the was great. <laughs> but here, you got to understand, right, I had the, you know, the little drummer boy thing, right, out of my house yes. okay the freaking thing was deflated it looked like it was bent over like if, if frosty would have been standing behind him but it would have been a perverted looking blow up doll right so yeah so yeah so i go down there and i said gosh you know i'm gonna go down there and see if i uh if i could straighten that thing up and see what's wrong with it right bro it was right after we had that freezing rain in st louis yeah and i didn't put any salt down on the driveway yet you know, I have that driveway that slopes mm-hmm. down, right? Yeah. Bro, I've been hit with tables, chairs, two-by-fours, everything. Before I knew it, my feet were above mm-hmm. my head, bro. I slipped, and I hit that sidewalk so or my driveway so hard. I laid there. I went, what the? <laughs> I couldn't breathe. I knocked the wind out of myself. Bro, I, I I know for a fact I know my body. I know I hairline fractured rib. I can't move. I can't sleep. I've been. I can't even toss and turn. I gotta lay with my feet propped up, or my freaking back is killing me. I'm just a freaking mess. Oh, and uh, well, yeah, and you're also playing a little sick today. Uh, you um, we we should mention. So we are recording this episode right now. 
from a hotel room, uh, a red roof in in Rockford, Illinois, because uh, last night you had the event, the Winter Warfare event in Belvedere, Illinois, right up the road. And yeah. then tonight you are going to be driving up to uh, Madison, Wisconsin. So by the time people listen, uh, hear this episode, once it's released, you will uh, you will actually be back on the road, uh, heading back down to uh, heading back down home. So you know, Joe, you hear a lot of things in business, right? And um, I, I got I have to say and give these guys a plug, man. Powerhouse Entertainment guys, uh, Steve Van Beckham, man. These guys have been nothing but courteous, gracious, excellent. We had a great show last night, and. Uh, you know, I cannot wait to get up to Madison, Wisconsin, you know, home of the University of Wisconsin Badgers. And I can't wait to get up there. You know, this is the old hotbed of the AWA. Mm-hmm. So powerhouses, I mean, I'm telling you, Powerhouse Entertainment has got one hell of an opportunity here in the Midwest because there's nobody that's got a foothold in the Midwest right now. And uh, it, it's really good, man. I look forward to going there tonight. I got to see Horn Swago last night, who's going to be on our show in the future here. Mm-hmm. I talked to him about doing the podcast and uh, – you know, uh, uh, the Godfather is going to be there tonight. He had a little bit of plane troubles last night. You know, Christmas holidays, man, everything right. happens. You can't help it. Planes are packed. Planes are coming in from New York. They're snowed in. I mean, it's got like four feet of snow in Pennsylvania up Jeez. in the mountains. Yeah, man. So it, it, the weather's – and that's Erie, Pennsylvania, where there's a major mm-hmm. airport. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it happens this time of year. Give me your worst travel uh, story. The, the When it comes to the snow – Trying to fly somewhere. Give me uh, one from back in the day when 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 you weren't just driving from city to city or you had to fly somewhere, and uh, yeah, just a, a story there. Well, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll give you a perfect story, right? And it's right here in the, in the great state of Minnesota. Before we're not in Minnesota, but in the Midwest here, um, we were getting ready to go to Green Bay, Wisconsin. Hawk and uh, Ellering and myself, we sat on the plane for two and a half hours. And it was one of those snowfalls in Minnesota that were, you're talking like two feet of snow. And we're sitting there. They de-iced the plane twice, backed it out, and it sat on the tarmac. And that was the age age when the Republic Airlines was still around and Northwest Airlines. Mm -hmm. So we were on a Republic Airline plane. Finally, I go up to the front stewardess and Paula Dellering and Hawk and I go, listen, get our bags off the freaking plane we're getting off now we literally got off the plane because the show started at eight o'clock it's already freaking nine thirty, and we have not even left minneapolis mm. there's no way i'm going to make the show we got our bags we walked of course with the guidance of a security guy for freaking like 200 yards through two feet of snow <laughs> to go to the, the back to the terminal Jeez. I tell people that people don't believe it. They say, how could you? Back then, you can get off a plane because they just lowered down the yeah. stairs. It was smaller. Pre-9-11. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's they, all you got to say. Yeah, they, yeah, man. Pre-9-11. That's exactly what it was. Things were de- And then, you know, you, you see the story of, uh, of what just happened. The plane that had to fly to uh, Japan, the L.A. to Japan flight that got four hours into it. And then they realized that somebody wasn't supposed to be on the plane. I don't get how that happens in 2017. Well, bro, we get people to go on planes Wrong all the time. Really? I don't know how they do because you got a boarding pass that's right. got to be scanned in. How, especially to Japan, they're so anal about how you're going international. You got to show your freaking passport. You got to have your ticket. They look at both before you get on the plane. And how do you not know that you're on the wrong? You're, right. 
especially you, the idiot that's flying. Right. How, I might, do you, how do you not know yourself? You're not. You're on the wrong plane. God, I mean, well, you you fly all the time. I might fly twice a year, so that's you know having to get on planes four times a year for for me. And I guess I just never never really have that issue. Uh, but I just I don't get how it happens. And but you, yeah, you the amount that you travel. Uh, and we should mention this is the last time that you are going to be traveling, and uh, well, for the uh, next couple weeks, uh, just this trip up to northern illinois and wisconsin after this your next trip won't be till the end of january when you are going to be in detroit michigan and uh that'll be uh after that i guess you know what next week we're gonna have a special announcement about uh some plans that we have in the month of january joe we're gonna uh we're gonna release those we're gonna tell people all about that next week make that a big announcement on the first episode of uh 2018 excellent bro that'd be excellent man um, we mentioned Christmas at the start of the show. We talked about the uh, we, we talked about you know uh, the stuff we did with our families this uh, this past week. One of the uh, a big the big wrestling story that Monday Night Raw coming up on the 25th anniversary of it. I, I cannot wait. We are going to have a show in January devoted to uh, animal stories from Monday Night Raw. The uh, the runs that you had. There some of the storylines that you had on Monday Night Raw. We will have an episode just on that in the month of January. So that will be one of our January shows if you're looking uh, looking ahead. Bro, tune in for that one. That's going to be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, but for the first time ever, Monday Night Raw was on Christmas on Monday. There are there are two schools of thought. I feel like seeing reading message boards, seeing people online. That there is the one school of thought that people think, okay, you know, the wrestlers should have been allowed to have that day off. They should have been with their family. They should have gotten to they, they should have gotten one week out of fifty-two off because it was on Christmas Day. But then there's the other school of thought, the old school of uh, of thought, where you know Christmas used to be a really really big day for wrestling. Bro, my opinion is the show must go on, and you know, listen. Police officers, firemen, everybody else, they don't have a day off on Christmas. And, and, and you have a slot on a television program that you spend millions of dollars on to have that show. So you have, what, 100-something guys working for your company? I'm sure you can bring 30 of them to the show to have. You know, not everybody's got families. Mm-hmm. So you could have done your shows that way. You know, it may not be the, the greatest uh, – Talent per se on the show, but still WWE superstars, right. right? I mean, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I remember a lot of times Christmas Day uh, in the NWA in the Carolinas with Jim Crocker Promotions, man. Uh, afternoon show at twelve thirty in uh, Greenville, night show in Charlotte. Yeah, and and they did it the right way too. I think where they had it up in Chicago. They had Raw and SmackDown both in Chicago because we know there's a lot of relationships backstage where, and in some of those cases, they there might be, you know, the guy might be on Raw, the girl might be on SmackDown to where yeah. they still got to spend time together. You're also in Chicago that has two major airports to where right. if you need to fly your family in and have Christmas here or leave right afterwards, you know you're going to get a flight somewhere and it's going to be a direct flight. It's not like... And I, I, I know I don't have to tell you this, but it feels like if you fly from St. Louis to Atlanta, you got to go stop in Detroit first or something to switch planes. Yeah, but I, that's, I, I, I know, man. Yeah, <laughs> that's not happening in Chicago. Unfortunately, anywhere I got to go in the country, I either got to go through Atlanta, Detroit, or Minneapolis. 
Yeah. You know. So, you know, it's it's they did it the right way to where you have it. And also, you don't have to worry about – you really don't have to worry about selling tickets in Chicago either. You know you're no, going to be able to sell that Chicago, venue out two Chicago days in a row. Chicago always does great, man. Mm-hmm. You know, wherever, if they're in the, uh, the, the big – I forget the name of the big building they're in, or they're going the Rosemont Horizon. Oh, that's now yeah, the Allstate Center. The Allstate is, Center, yeah. Uh, yeah, the Allstate Arena is yeah. now, but it was the Rosemont Horizon. It's yeah, still, yeah. It, it, it's phenomenal wrestling building. I, I remember times going in there with the AWA and the NWA, even WWF back in the day, and, w, and WWE. Um, the crowd, the way that it's set up, man, is so loud in, mm-hmm. in that building. It's freaking awesome. I never, I never got to see... A WWE or WWF event at Rosemont. I went to some Chicago Wolves games there back in the day when I was a kid, growing up in the Chicagoland area. But never did, uh, never got to go to a wrestling event well, up there. Well, it was cool for us, man. You know, you, when you go around the back door, right? That level there is actually the second tier, so we get to watch through the curtain and you can see the whole event. And in and, and the entranceway there, you know, when you come down through the drive, because you're really coming down through the back door and up the ramp, man, when, the, when the, we used to go down the Black Sabbath Iron Man and that music would play, boy, talk about the natives being restless, especially us hailing from Chicago, right? Yeah. I mean, come on. The people would be going freaking nuts. They, I mean, hey, they knew something was going to happen, man. It, it, Chicago is probably... In my top three U.S. cities for wrestling, man, they're, they're fr- it's freaking awesome. I don't know. You say U.S. cities because I'm sure you're, you know, you've wrestled all over the world, and we know how uh, near and dear Japan is to your uh, to your heart. Have you been following on social media? Uh, your uh, your I guess, you know, basically, let's just call I mean, she's basically your niece. She is family to you, Rachel Ellering, oh, who is yeah, currently man. in Japan right now for her uh, her first time. You know, that's somebody we're going to have to uh, check in with her when she gets back from that because seeing how excited she was to tell you all about that, and if you go back in the archives and listen to our interview with Paul Ellering back for episode two and you hear how excited he was for her, she's yeah. uh, she's currently in Japan Right now, wrestling and uh, doing. Uh, the, she, How's she doing, she, man? It looks like she's loving it, bro. She, out there. She's, she has got this wrestling business in her blood. Um, hopefully, she can get back to the big dance one day with WWE, bro. She may never need to go there. You know, what I mean, I hate to say it, but if you, once you get your foot in the door in the women's company in Japan, you're in forever. And if Rachel does really well, which I know she will, listen, Rachel is probably one of the strongest girls in wrestling. Period. And when you look at her, man, for a pretty little thing, it looks like your next door neighbor. The, ch- the chickens lift some weight. I mean, you know, and uh, well, you know, you look at the bloodlines. You know, Paul and his ex-wife were very, were very good powerlifters. They owned a couple gyms in uh, northern Minnesota. But you know, Rachel is uh, she's from that old school, hardy Northwoodser, you know, type of area, and uh, she's going to do phenomenal in Japan, man. And Japan's a good foothold for a girl if you can get in the door. Uh, and then you you mentioned Japan. Uh, wanted to uh, get your thoughts on this. A few days ago, the great Kabuki wrestled his final match in Japan. Retired a few years ago, so didn't call it a retirement match, even though uh, everybody knew that uh, in attendance knew that it was over with after that 53 years of wrestling. And he wrestled his final match in uh for uh pro wrestling noah well you yeah. know bro here's here's the thing man with with the, what's going on right now in japan 
they even asked me to get back in the ring to tag up with Scott Norton, right? Norton's you're supposed been to be saying this. You're not gonna. You're not gonna kayfabe this and no, no, uh, no, make no, it a big no, surprise. No, no, but we were we were talking about it. And Norton, <laughs> Norton's been wrestling Anoki. Now you have Kabuki coming back. You know, Muto's still going strong. You know, as strong as he possibly can with that real bum knee he's got. But th- that's that's the big thing in Japan right now, man. I, I was I just saw Kabuki the last time I was in Japan. He's got a uh, what they call a uh, yakitori shop, which is you know chicken on a stick. And uh, he's got one. You know, you ever had yakitori? I no, not that Bro, I know of. It's, it's Pete Little. It's about five nuggets of grilled chicken. Okay. With teriyaki sauce, it's got chicken, onion, chicken, onion, chicken, onion. It's all a little stick. Skewers. It's and like a kebab. Yeah. Okay. It, but it's a wooden skewer. Okay. How they don't burn the stick, I don't know. But they cook it on this mini grill, and he just fast hands like all the Japanese cooks got. And bro, it comes out great. And uh, I went to a shop to say hello. He was so appreciative, man, because to go to – when you have someone that's a big American star that's choosing Japan and you go to someone's restaurant, it's a big honor. I went, I went to Kabuki's, and I went to Killer Khan's restaurant, man, which was awesome. Tell me about the uh, what, the first time you wrestled the great, uh, the great Kabuki. You know, uh, we wrestled the Kabuki in, uh, with All Japan Pro Wrestling, okay? Um, you had – family is really huge in Japan. So Giant Baba came to me and says, we want to do a big family match. And I just got my brother Johnny and my brother's Mark, my brother Mark's foot in the door in uh, all Japan. And Hawk and I were there. And uh, so they did a tag team. It was Hawk and I and my brother Johnny and my brother Mark. They called it family. We wrestled. uh, God, I forget who we wrestled, man. I think it was Fuji, Kabuki, uh, Buto, and someone else. Maybe Animal Hamaguchi or something. But uh, it was a great... it was a, a cool experience, and Kabuki, bro, is phenomenal. He does that spin-around thing and blows that freaking, you know, mist. You ever get hit with the mist? Oh, bro, I, get, I ducked out of that yeah. mist, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to get a hawk loogie in the eye when he blows the mist, right? No, but uh, he he is over big. When he starts putting that hair in front of his face, you know, and he kind of looks – uh, it looks like that that girl from the ring. Yeah, you know the hair goes in the face and he spins around and, whew, and that mist blows in your face, bro. It's it's pretty cool looking. So you've never got the mist in your face? No, man. Kabuki won't mist a road warrior. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Be a fate worse than death. You have to go and uh, with the, the videos online. I know Tommy Dreamer is uh, who I saw tweeted out uh, a couple days ago, but he uh, he left the he left the nunchucks in the middle of the ring. As he uh, as he walked away. Oh, that's freaking awesome! Yeah, man. yeah. Kabuki could do the nunchucks. You know, he 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 has a great heart. You know, um, speaking of heart, remember when Gary Hart was still alive, the manager yeah. Gary Hart. Yeah. Gary Hart managed Kabuki in the NWA for in North Carolina for Jim Crockett Promotions. Kabuki got over huge as a heel in North Carolina, bro. Well, any Japanese guy wrestled American, right. and, you know, was a big heel in the U.S., you know. But he, uh, he, Kabuki, his claim is, bro, what was good about Kabuki is he learned the American style real quick. It, once you're a Japanese, like, like Nakamura, mm-hmm. Nakamura, Shinsuke Nakamura right now, he has learned the American style. He has let loose and become an entertainer, which you don't see in Japanese wrestling. He, he, he and the Japanese chick, what's her name? Uh, Asuka. 
Oscar. Yep. Bro, both of them have learned how to be fluent and entertainers, which that's going to take them a long way back in Japan and in the U.S., man. It's, it's awesome. What what is the I mean I you know I know the culture is a lot different from the U.S. to Japan just in general, but what is it about the wrestling culture that I guess doesn't have them being as as much entertainers as we see here in the U.S. Because you know over in over in Japan in New Japan the Bullet Club is is a big deal right now you know Wrestle Kingdom you're you're having Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho you're talking about entertainers. Yeah. Uh, you know, no, no bigger than Chris Jericho when it comes to the entertainment aspect yeah, of but it. Bro, he, Chris, Chris Jericho ain't going to be an entertainer in Japan. He's going to be a wrestler. That's the difference. Japan still to this day is one hundred percent serious in the ring, and is more snug. You will come out of there black, black and blue and bruised because that's just the way their business is. When you go to the arena, Joe, and you see all the young boys, you would hear them, each knee, they're doing squats, free squats, a hundred of them. They're going to the ring taking a hundred bumps, and they're carrying this log thing around, and the weight's around for the older boys. They it is still disciplined, old-school, traditional wrestling. And so even though you have some entertainer guys coming over, I mean, even Hawk and I, when we went over there, man, we had to be 100% serious. You had to take what you wanted to. They're not going to give it to you. That's their country. That's their country. No matter who comes over, you have to take it, whether it was Hawk and I or Hogan, no matter what. Because if you give a Japanese guy an inch, he's taking that mile. And there's no, you can't blame him. Here you got the most popular Americans coming over there, and it's going to make them look good to have an offensive move, right? So in their eyes... So that's why it's a different it's a different ball game. When you ride over in the countryside over there, Joe, and you look out there, and you'll see nothing but rice paddies, and in the middle of rice paddies you see baseball fields, and you see these little kids from freaking ten years old, fully dressed in baseball uniforms, because they see it all in the U.S. TV, and of course you got the, the you know the Tokyo Giants and the Carp and all these other teams in Japan now. The Nippon Ham Fighters. Don't forget about the uh, the Bro, Nippon Ham Fighters. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, man. That's my team over in Japan. They got some really strange names for, for baseball, right? But there are some good ball players. But the top star on the Japanese ball player is the American boy. Mm -hmm. It happens to be the American boy that's jacking home runs. You know, and most guys, I don't know why it is. Most Americans play first base and they and they jack on runs. Mm -hmm. But that's the way it's always been. I mean, that's the way it is every time I see it over there, you know. Yeah. It's real serious. It's old school and traditional. Just like sumo wrestling. Sumo wrestling is traditional. It's, you know, I've sat there, Hawk and I have sat there for hours betting. Who do you want, Hawk? I'll take Wakanahana. I'll take Takanahana, his brother, you know. I'll take Kanishki or Akibono, all grand champions. You know, when we got to do stuff with uh, Wajima, Wajima was the highest, uh, the fastest from collegiate to pro in Yokozuna and anybody in uh, the, the sport of sumo wrestling, but he got caught gambling. So they blacklisted him. But uh, when, when Giant Baba came to us and said, hey, man, please help us train Wajima, he came to North Carolina and Hawk and I went to the gym with him every day trying to get him to be fluent. And, boy, it was hard, bro. Because those guys are so used to being 400 pounds and boom, 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 shoving with forearms and, you know, hand slaps and stuff. Pro wrestling is a different ball game, man. When, where you're running 100 miles an hour into the ropes, 
coming off and flipping around and doing, you know, power slams and stuff like that, right? Wow. Uh, I, I feel like we will never, ever run out of uh, Japan stories uh, doing the uh, the Water Rush podcast. Hey, want to let you uh, remind people that they can get in touch with us. Any questions that they have, we might go with a uh, – we might – I know we have a lot piled up, so we're going to go with a lot of questions from the audience next week. So be sure to tweet at us, at WhatARushPod. I know I've had people reach out to me on Facebook. You can you can leave questions there on the Facebook page, the Water Rush podcast with Road Warrior Animal Joe Laurinaitis on Facebook, or you can email us as well. That is roadwarriorpodcast at gmail.com. I know we've got a we got a few emails too that we'll uh, we'll need oh, to get to. We will make next week a uh, we'll make next week listener questions. We'll uh, we'll knock a lot of those out next it, it's week. It's been great, man. We've been getting a lot of feedback from people around the country that have listened to it and hitting up on my Facebook and Twitter how much they love the podcast. So it's it's really good, bro. You gotta love the wrestling fans, man. Absolutely, they're, they're, they're awesome, man. The wrestling fans are awesome. Absolutely. And Joe, our guest this week here on the Water Rush podcast makes it uh, three for three, going with Hall of Famers Paul Ellering, Ted DiBiase, and joining us now, a man with three different faces during his time with the WWE. He is Charles Wright, better known as the Godfather. Joining us now, what's going on, Charles? What's going on, YouTube? Man, just another day in paradise. I know we're up here in the freaking tundra and in uh, Madison, Wisconsin, and Rockville, Illinois area. My gosh, it's cold. Minus two. <laughs> Minus two's the high today. Can you believe it? Who would want to live hey, here? All I can say, there can't be too many black people living out here. <laughs> Bro, they are. They're like giant popsicles. I live in the, I live in the desert where it gets 118 degrees. In the lower 30, I'm looking at my window right now, and it's minus two degrees. I didn't even know it went minus. You know, uh, Joe Roderick, I got to tell you, man, there, there's very few people in the wrestling business that, um, you know, that any of the guys can really call a friend. And uh, Charles is one of the greatest guys that I have met in the wrestling business. There's two guys in the WWE all, all the time that was great. He and Taker. He and Taker, bro, are like two of the greatest guys. You have a blast every time you hang with them. Good guys. I spent a lot of time with Charles's family, everything else. I was in his, his wedding, you know, back That's in the right. day. And, man, he's just a good human being all the way around. Oh, man, thank you for that. I'm going to pay you tomorrow. Too. Yeah, bro, that's 50 bucks, bro. That's 50. That's a cheap one. When did uh, so I, you know looking at the the timelines of your careers, the early part of your career? When when did you guys first first meet? Jeez, man! I think Me he... and Joe, oh, right away, right away. Yeah, I mean, as soon as I got to there, I, I met Joe right away. I was, you know, I'm, not, I'm probably older than Joe. I don't know, but you know, I watched him not growing up, but I, I, I of course, I knew LLD. That's one of the reasons I got into wrestling because. You got these badass guys with these badass haircuts with, you know, just to me, it was kind of like me. I'm like, dude, those guys are just like me. So those are two of my favorite wrestlers with LLD, man. So what, it would have been in the WWF when you guys first met? Oh, yeah, before, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. definitely WWF, man. Definitely WWF. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Charles. Uh, oh, right away. Hey, bro, when you, he, when you first, you know, when you see Charles, 
I don't think you realize how big the son of a gun is until you get you see him. I mean, big old barrel chest on him, and you know, he and I worked out quite a few times in Japan together. You know, we were over there for WWF in Japan. Man, brother could push some weight around. <laughs> that was one thing Hawk and I love to do, right? So we see a guy that loves to throw weight around. It was awesome to see, you know. So uh, yeah, man, we got a lot of good times together, man. That you know, uh, probably ridden that hoe train once or twice, you know. So <laughs> you know, we won't we won't elaborate into that too much, but you know, no, we'll leave that alone. We'll leave that alone. Yeah. No, hey, once this thing gets up and running, though, Charles. Uh, I mean, if you want to invite us to come do a show live from Vegas at your uh, at your new hey, establishment, I mean, I would not it. be opposed to that one bit. You have an open invitation to Vegas. Bro, you would have the time of your life in Vegas, let me tell you. Now, uh, Charles, I got to ask, you know, I I want you two to go into stories, but I, you know, this is one thing I noticed. I was at WrestleCade with, with Joe back in November, and you walk around that and you see all of these guys who, you know, it took them their third or fourth character to, to hit and to really make that you know, make that name for them and, you know, kind of take off in in the business with that. You, you know, then, then you have somebody here like Joe where, you know, he's been for 30 plus years, he's been putting on the face paint and beating people up. And that, that first thing kind of took off. You know, he's, he's one of the lucky ones. But right. for, you know, for somebody like you, you were main eventing as as Papa Shango. And, you know, people, you know, will, you know, you, you get, you, you read the the reviews the message boards people will rip on that but you still you were in main events with Bret Hart with the Undertaker with Ultimate Warrior as as Papa Shango but still it it still took you know that second that third character to finally you know I, I guess make that name as as the Godfather but still the WWF Vince McMahon never really did give up on you did he or I mean did it take that you know was it that constant they never, changing they- they never gave up on me. I would leave them, and you know, they never let me go. I, I would leave them, and it was basically what people don't understand is I had the club in Vegas, Cheetahs, and uh, I always had money coming in, and, and it's kind of weird, and it's weird to say, but wrestling, no matter how great it was and how much I respected and all the friends that I made and the money that I made, wrestling was always my second job. My first job was the club. And uh, wrestling for me was fun, and I made it fun. I didn't get into all the politics. I didn't get into all the bullshit. That's why Joe says that you're the fun bit. I made wrestling fun. It was a way for me to get away from the nonsense of Vegas and to act myself, have fun, be around people just like me, be around, like Joe said, man, back in the day, the WWF, I will say, not E. The WWF had some of the strongest guys. I think at one time we had five or six guys that could bench over 500 pounds. And I bet you there's not three, two guys in the WWE now that can bench 500. I bet there's probably nobody in there can bench 500. Jeez, I, I think, uh, I think Braun, Strong, Braun Strowman Cena and Cena are probably the only two. Yeah. And, uh, and so wrestling, when the... Like with Papa Shango, I was going through some stuff. I don't know if wrestling was ready for that at the time. Everybody was still kind of like what Joe and Hawk went through with the face paint and the haircuts. You know, people were hating on me. They didn't like it. It wasn't pure wrestling, but that didn't bother me, man. I did the best I could. 
but you know, it didn't take until the Godfather where I got to be myself and the Godfather and Charles Wright are one of the same person. Bro, I was just going to get ready to say that. You know, Papa Shango is like kind of like, I remember when I first put on the paint, you know, you're kind of like almost in a shell a little bit. But, bro, when they gave Charles the Godfather thing, I said, oh, shit, wait. That was that was him to a T. He, he does that every day for no reason. I mean, he, he's normally the Godfather, you know. Oh man, that's funny. It still is. People, it's funny because people that know me will say, "Dude, I don't know who's you. I don't know if you're the Godfather or the Godfather's you." Yeah, that's funny, man. But so- that 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 was so great because they just let me be me, and that was during the Attitude Era, so I really got to be me and had the time of my life. But believe me, believe me, I act the same. <laughs> today as I did then, and I'm basically doing the same thing, so the Godfather is still alive. Do do you pinch, pitch that idea to Vince? Does Vince, I, I guess, one day realize what you do for a living and come to you, or is there a third party no. in, in this? No, 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 no. I was in the Nation of Domination. They were building the rock. At that point, we kicked everybody else out. It was just me, D'Lo. I don't know if Mark Henry was part of it still. But it was just me, D'Lo, going to the ring with Rock. And for a year, me and D'Lo didn't even wrestle. I think D'Lo did a little bit, but we were just there for the Rock to take, take the Stone Cold Stunner at the end, or the Tombstone, or whoever he was working with, we would feed in at the end and take what he didn't ask me. <laughs> Bro, I'll tell you what, though, man. Back in the day, that was one of the most underrated factions oh, in the yeah. wrestling business, the Nation of Domination. It was so imposing. You know, I was looking the other day, Charles, I was watching uh, when, uh, you know, Chicago Street Fight. We wrestled you guys with us and Ahmed, remember? I'll get you guys uh-huh. in, 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 in uh, the Rosemont Horizon. WrestleMania 13. Yeah, bro. And I look back, and when you look on stage, and you see Ron all dressed up like Louis Farrakhan, <laughs> you know, and then there's Charles, and then you had The Rock, and then there was D'Lo there, and then you had two little, you had Jamie and the other kid, the two white boys, little white boys, little skinny white guys on the east side. Bro, but what an imposing sight to look up at the stage and see that. You know what I mean? And and, and, and with Hawk and I to wrestle, uh, you know, with Ahmed, I mean, it, it all. I was watching the other day, and it was all fit out for Ron Simmons, one of the greatest guys in the microphone I ever heard. I mean, you know, he when yeah, he was right. calling uh, when he was calling Ahmed and Uncle Tom and all that, and then Ahmed pulled us down to the ring, and we, you had kind of like the stare off when we were in the ring, and you guys were on stage. It just set the freaking tone, and it was such an easy oh. match because we really didn't have to do anything except show up. I mean, it, it was I, an imposing thing. That. I remember. I remember. Yes, sir. I, I think, the, bro, I, I personally think they could have ran if they really wanted to. But you're right, man. At the time, you could see The Rock getting that push. You could see where he was. The Rock, the Rock was just a different cat. He was going to, you You could tell, Rock right. always had that natural personality, charisma. Something I've always told people, man, it's one that you can't teach anybody's that charisma. You can see it in the rock, no. but that nation thing could have went on for a long time. Uh, I, you, you know how that thing goes, Joe. Well, you know, I think at the time, though, the reason, I mean, a lot of stuff that we heard was the reason why I didn't is because, I mean, back then, I mean, the office was getting a few death threats. I um, mean, I hear that 
this is this is what I was told that it was almost too real. Yeah, that's what I mean. And that's what I mean, man. It was almost too real. And so that's what I heard. But it, it is what it is. Charles, um, did you, you ever? Know, exp- what's cool about it is what's cool about it is because they were just working. Me and Dealer weren't working. I'm, I said, "Gee, I got to come up with something," you know. Yeah. So I started growing my hair, and and uh, this led to that. And then I kind of always wore the motorcycle vest and jeans, and I used to wear those black Godfather hats anyway. And so. I would walk to the ring and people would start saying, Godfather, now I'm growing hair and I got braids because my hair grows really fast. And uh, I have braids and people are like, you look like a pimp, Godfather. And so uh, me and Brad, one day me and Bradshaw, we were in, I think we were in Louisville, man. And I told Bradshaw, let's try something because me and Bradshaw were working singles against each other. And we would go 10 minutes and beat the hell out of each other and joke. Everybody would sit on their hands. We'd get no reaction. We were on popcorn. It was crazy. We're beating the hell out of each other. So one day, I came up with the idea, hey, John, let's try something different. I said, I'm going to go out there and tell people I'm a pimp. And then we're gonna, I'm going to tell a little story. I'm going to offer you some girls. We didn't even have girls back then. I said, <laughs> in the back, in the level, right now, man, I got five, five of the finest hoes you ever see. Then what to do anything you want to do. So of course Johnny takes the girls and he starts walking down the aisle and then I say something, there's another stupid redneck or something. He turns around, he comes back to the ring, I turn around, he'd hit me with the clothesline. One, two, three. I would pop up and say, If it ain't easy, man, and the place would pop. Yeah, bro, that is, the people bought into that like crazy. And that's how it started and then this we went to, after about a week of it, Vince heard about it. He goes, hey, I hear this thing might have a little bit of legs. He goes, uh, you think you can put some girls to it? And I'm like, are you joking me, Vince? I can get girls faster than you can get it. You know, so I went yeah, really? Me, me and some of the other guys went to the local strip club, and we got some girls. And, it, and from that, as soon as we put the girls on TV, it took off. I mean, and it took off fast. What was uh, to talk me through going to uh, go into the strip club? Do you have to pay them, or are you just offering them TV time? Are you telling them yeah, that you guys will be back later and throw some dollars their way? At first, no, they paid them. They, 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 this wouldn't let you go on TV without paying. They paid them, um, but that they weren't doing it for the pay. They just wanted to be on TV. But Vince paid them anyway, and then. Uh, after it took off, then they took over the, the thing, and then they started, you know, getting the girls themselves. But that was, boy, that was one of the best times to be in the WWF because people don't understand. Those girls were in all the house shows, too. So oh, <laughs> boy. The back room kind of interested, not trying to get Bro, I, 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 I remember being backstage and just, you know, Every one of the guys' jaws was dropping because them hoes would come out, and you're going, "Oh my god!" Because <laughs> Charles didn't have the ugly hoes; he had the nice right. hoes. You know, you're, you're not going yeah, there. Yeah, you're yeah. not going there on a Tuesday afternoon at two o'clock. You're no, you're finding no, out no. which ones will be there at midnight no, on a Friday. Yeah, yeah exactly. So we got the stars, man. And so, it, it, dude, that was that was such a. But to be honest, man, it's kind of kind of like how my life is now with the club and everything. Things haven't changed that much. <laughs> I can't do that no more. No, no bumps. Still the hoes, but no bumps. No bumps. No more. How much has that popularity from being the Godfather actually uh, benefited you business-wise there in Vegas? 
Uh, this is going to sound funny, but I bear, people call me Bear, Joe. You know, a lot of oh, people yeah. call me Bear. And Bear is probably bigger, well, better well-known in Vegas than The Godfather. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he was already synonymous with the clubs down there. And, and then, yeah, when he, when, then when he when he was with Cheetahs, I mean, everybody knew Bear. When I would call up at the club, I would have to ask for Bear. They wouldn't even know who Charles was. Most people don't even, the people at the club don't even know my real name. Everybody calls me Bear. Personally, I'd rather be called by my real name, Charles. But at this point, at 56 years old, I can't fight it, man. People, I'll tell them my name is Charles, but then somebody will call me Bear, and they just start calling me Bear. But Bear's probably more well-known in Vegas than Godfather. Bear was Bear was a pretty crazy cat. Bear was a biker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he was a pretty yeah. crazy cat himself. Oh, yeah. Bear, Bear, Bear was a road warrior at heart. <laughs> yeah, man, I could have been. I stand. I wish I would have been a road warrior. I would have fit in with you guys. No kidding, bro. That would have been a perfect six man there. You know, you mentioned working with The Rock and knowing that he was going to be a big deal when you were there, but things didn't really start off all that great for him in the nation. When he first came over, he wasn't getting over. He definitely wasn't getting over as Rocky Maivia and. You know, it took a while to build that up. Uh, did you sense at any point that there were gonna, you guys were gonna have to cut ties, or were you kind of paired with him around the time where it was like, okay, this kid, this kid's starting to figure it out now? Um, when Fitch came, Fitch came to me and Ron, and he said, you know, basically, if I can remember it right, he's kind of like, you guys know this Rocky kid, and I didn't know who he was, and Ron knew who he was. And Vince uh, basically said, I'm going to make this kid the biggest thing in wrestling. And he says, I'll be honest. He said, I tried making him Samoa and it didn't work. He goes, this time I'm going to make him black. <laughs> and he said, if, he goes, if I can get these people to hate this kid, when I turn him, they're going to love him. And that's what he did with a lot of help from Rock. But that's what he did. Yeah, Ron, so Ron was a very, very big part of Rocky's the success. The nation, the nation, especially Ron and his voice, the nation really helped him. That was his platform, man. That, that really helped him in the nation. Yeah. It gave him a really big voice. And I, I, you know, I know this was the late 90s, but was there fear on anybody's part in the nation that it was, I mean, we, we, you know, you guys mentioned the the threats and everything, but going out there week after week, having to travel town to town, especially in, you know, even in the South, I mean, having to go down the South and do something like this, was there fear when this idea was presented to you? Do you really think that group of guys would be scared of the South or anybody? Bro, the group, a group of guys ain't afraid of nothing. Are you kidding me? Who's going to go up to Charles? That, that didn't even uh, that didn't even cross our minds at all. Never no, man. Look, mind. listen. You had Ron. You had Ron Simmons, right? You, you had Ron Simmons, who's like six foot two, three hundred pounds. You had Charles, who was freaking six five, three hundred twenty. Who's going to say anything to those guys? No, what are they going to be afraid of? That wasn't that wasn't even an issue at all with us. I gotta ask the questions. I gotta, I gotta throw it out there. I mean, that's, yeah, man. No, no, no yeah. I, I gotta ask what you know, what, what the people out there want to want to hear. I'm the dude that I'm the guy. You asked Joe. I'm the type of guy that would go to the most redneck bar you could find, 
take my shirt off and start dancing with every girl in there. And oh yeah, bro. I'm talking about doing all types of stuff. I'm that guy. Charles Charles is a honky tonk son of a gun, bro. Listen, listen yeah, and, and, and the funny thing is, Joe, if you if you, I've had the pleasure of meeting Charles's mom and dad and his brother. If you saw his mom and dad and brother, you would say to yourself, where did Charles come from? <laughs> his mom and dad are so prim and proper, very nice people, and his brother is like straight laced as hell. And then there's Charles, which Bear was a perfect name. He's all freaking tatted to hell, and, you know, <laughs> you know it was freaking funny, man. It was great. Oh, man, uh yeah, yeah, but I'm not a bad guy. No, nah, man, drinking. a joke. What most people don't know is that mostly all I listen to is country music. So what? I you mean, know? you know, you grow up like that. You you have the strip club. How how did wrestling even happen? Then was it was it a situation like with Joe where somebody just saw this big MFR and was like, you know what, we should get you in a ring? They were filming a movie called Over the Top with Sylvester Stallone. It was an arm wrestling movie. Remember that? Yeah, Scott Norton. I have that yes, movie Scott on Norton DVD. Yeah. Okay. Well, they were <laughs> filming it at the MGM, which is right down the street from a club that I was working at. And all those dudes would come in. I was a bartender. They'd come in. I was a bartender manager, and they'd come in. And, dude, I was uh, – I can't tell you how big I was back then. And I was just massively big and strong. And they're like, dude, you should wrestle. You should wrestle. And these, I don't know who the guys were, but they're like, yeah, you should wrestle. And I'm like, ah, I don't want to do that wrestling. I'm happy here. And then they said, well, this guy named Bam Bam Bigelow, who I knew because he had tattoos. I was more into the guys with tattoos and stuff. And there wasn't many guys back then with tattoos. And uh, he goes, he made this much money last year. And I'm like, how much? And so uh, he goes, they made a call to uh, Larry Sharp's Monster Factory in Jersey. I literally, this is no fool. I was in wrestling school maybe a month, and Jerry Lawler seen me, and my very first match was against Jerry Lawler in Memphis, Tennessee on a Monday night, and I went over in the middle. Wow. It just, bro, I tell you what, Jerry Lawler was very smart that way. And then that's the same time I met the Undertaker, Mark. And he then they said we're going to bring this kid, this redheaded kid, in named Mark Calloway. He was wrestling as Master of Pain back then, or Texas Red, or Master of Pain, I think it was. And so we never worked against each other. They made us, they made us a tag team. They called us Death Express, and we went on a real roll like that. And then, uh, you know. But, Bro, yeah, I look at some of the pictures back then, Charles, and I remember that freaking mullet that Taker had back then. Oh, bro, I laughed my ass off. He had the bright red mullet. Oh, yeah, it was funny. <laughs> hey, Joe, remind me tonight because I got a picture of me and Tate in Memphis, man, and, and, and he has that big old red-headed uh, mullet, man, and you'll laugh your ass off when you see it tonight. Well, I, I remember when they put he and Danny Spivey together and called them the uh, skyscrapers, and Hawk and I work with those guys. And, you know, I'm saying to myself, boy, this big son of a bitch can move. You know, of course, you're in that small WCW ring, right? Which, you, you know, Taker would take one step and he's hitting a rope. 
Yeah. That's how long what a stride was. Like 16 by 16, they were small. Oh, yeah, bro. They were really tiny rings, man. And so, yeah, man, the, yeah, the guy could do a lot of stuff. But I remember that bright red mullet was the first thing I noticed. And, of course, you know, Tager back then wasn't exactly a tanned god either, you know. So that bright red mullet and the white skin, just, <laughs> it was like a beacon back then. I'm still not too tan. No, hey, now he's all colored up with tats, so it doesn't matter. You know, you know who made him get his first tattoo, don't oh, you? Oh, I bet you, you did. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. This was mad. This was so mad at him. I told Mark, I said, Hey, you are too big and white not to have tattoos, man. And we were in Vegas, man, and a guy named Doc Dog did his first tattoo on him, man. And this was bad. This was bad. Yeah, man. bro. Remember, I went there with you guys at one time. Yeah, yeah. yeah People put, don't know that me and you are really good friends, and we we spend a lot of time. I've been to your house. You've been to my house. Heck you know? yeah, man. Heck yeah. So I I understand. I think I think I mowed your lawn once, didn't I? Mm-hmm. No, that was a Bret Hart joke. Remember, Bret Hart drew that on a chalkboard. Yeah, I, did, I, I was I was being funny. <laughs> Bro, Bret Hart was the greatest jokester and artist, man. People don't know that much about Bret Hart. He would draw shit on the chalkboard, and it would be freaking hilarious. He was a great illustrator, man. Yeah, he drew a picture so all the he, time of Charles driving my, my John Deere tractor. Hell yeah. He had me driving your tractor said, yes, sir, boss. Yes, yeah, sir, boss. I, I, I know, I know. It. <laughs> it so I, back then, that shit was funny, man, and now you can't do any of that. You'd be, you'd be taking off the air, but... Yep. We were just having fun. It was funny. Nobody was trying to harm nobody. No, nobody bro. It's, hey, it's anybody. like it's like Ron. We said, just having fun. Everything was equal, man. You could, you could talk about people back then and have fun about it. Now you can't. Yeah, man. Ron Simmons and I did an appearance about three weeks ago together, and uh, he said the same thing, man. Ron, Ron's great people, man. One of the greatest. I mean, I have so much respect for Ron. I, mean, I remember being a guy at junior college watching Ron in Florida. You know, Florida State. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he was like the best tackle that I've seen. I mean, fast, explosive, strong, benching five fifty in college. You know, I mean, just a monster guy. He and uh, he, and, he and I were talking about all this. Uh, you know, all these guys being uh, racially oppressed and stuff. And Ron, Ron just looks at me and says, "Man, he was those guys ought to shut up. They're making a hundred million dollars. How oppressed can they be?" You know, in Ron's voice. You know, and, and he would go. Damn, <laughs> you know, and Ron is just a cracker, man. Another another thing, uh, Joe, is a lot of people didn't know that are like a lot of uh, the sayings in the WWE and F are Ron saying. When Rock would say, "Know your role," that was Ron saying. Oh Rock yeah, say, yeah. Role, Everybody's got a position, boy. Know your role. Know your role. You're right, man. You're you know, right. Yeah. People, that was, those were. Those were Ron's sayings. Ron had the best sayings, and they're all stolen from him. But you know, you know. But those were Ron's sayings, man. Know your role, boy. Know your role. I know that's great. <laughs> you know, back to the Undertaker. You were talking about the first tattoo and how pissed Vince was. I get it. I get that. You know, he was supposed to play the dead man. He was supposed to be this corpse that was walking around. You didn't want to show him with the ink on. So yeah, what but was dead it guys like? Can have tattoos too. What was it like when you showed up? Take me take me through the time you guys show up. I'm guessing you show up backstage and Vince sees him with this new ink. What is that conversation like? How do you talk Vince down to get him to I not freak out? I, I, I wasn't in there. I don't think I was in the WWF yet. 
see. I don't think I was when my, my I think I had just come back from Japan or Germany and they had hired me but they hadn't come up with a, a gimmick for me yet. Because they hired me <clears throat> and it was like I was on payroll for three or four or five months before they came up with the gimmick. But uh, when Taker did the tattoo, I wasn't there yet. So Bro, I, hey, Charles. I'm just going by what Taker told me. Charles, were you, were you in Germany with my brother Mark? No. Okay. So I know my brother Mark did a lot of stuff for Autobots. Listen, this is who I was over there with. I was over there with Scott Hall, Owen Hart, Chris Benoit, Fitz Finley, Dave Taylor, Cannonball Grizzly, who was Paul New. And then, uh, you know, their guys, the uh, Eddie Steinblocks and, the, you know, their guys. Oh, wow. But what a crew that was, No huh? kidding, man. That was a good crew. And we were all over there in Germany for like seven, eight months. And then uh, Taker was in depth. When I went to Germany, Taker was in WCW, okay? When I got back from Germany, because I was there for like seven months, Taker was in WWF. And then I got a tryout, and then I was hired. And like I said, and then, you know, I was just waiting for the gimmick. And then Taker, I think, was filming a movie. I think he was filming that movie uh, with Hogan. I forget what it was. Suburban Commando. And I think he snuck to Vegas after that for a couple days to hang out with me. And that's when I got him that tattoo, right after that movie, Suburban Commando. I remember Taker, that movie. That was awesome. <laughs> but, yeah, man. Uh, I just said you're cheesing, man, thinking about all those good times we used to have. So you get uh, so you get brought in. You're getting paid. They give you the they give you the Papa Shango gimmick, and they put you in. You know they they push you right away. They put you right in those in those top feuds as as Papa Shango. There, you're you know you're wrestling for what? Not you're not wrestling for too long, and you're you know not that many years when you're when you're thrown oh, into dude, these, I right? Green. I was I was green, 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 green. You know. Um, I wish I would. I mean, it was, I mean, you're taking like, at that point I was basically a biker and, you know, I mean like a hardcore biker and then you made him a, a voodoo man. It was hard cause I was green and, and I didn't really realize that until later on in life. I always laughed. Some of the worst matches I ever had in my life were against Bob Backlund and oh Kamala. And it's only, and the reason that those matches were so bad is because I was so green that I didn't know how to work my gimmick good enough to complement their gimmick. And that's why they were so bad. And I remember getting mad at James because uh, Kamala would, he would be, he would act like he was afraid of me, like a, whatever he was, a, a Ugandan giant would be afraid of a witch doctor. And so he was playing his gimmick, you know, he, I'd go to touch him and he'd run from me and I didn't know how to handle it. I would get mad at him, say, get over here, get over here, you know, because I was so green, I wasn't that good at my gimmick. But, you know, that was a green time. That was probably too early to push me like that. But, you know, it is what it is. Bro, I, 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 I've been in those kind of situations, man. I remember being over in the UK and wrestling Dino Bravo and the Iron Sheik. Try that one. Oh, Lord. Neither one of them knew how to run. And he, oh, he, oh, yeah, it was brutal. <laughs> but we do what we got to do, don't we, Joe? We yeah, man. Show, I was just telling Joe, man, a lot of times, you know, the show must go on, you know, whether you're sick, yeah. you're hurt, no matter what, the show's got to go on. When did the... Uh, 
So when did the gimmick click for you then, Charles? For me? Yeah. I was I was going through a divorce, and uh, it was an ugly divorce, and it was just too much for me to handle, and they weren't doing a whole lot with me, so I went to Vince, and uh, I said, I got to go, bro. I said, it's just, I got too much going on, and he's like, well, go home for a while, and, and when things get better, give us a call, and uh, that's how it went, man. It was, it was time for me to go. I wasn't happy. I was I was going through a bad divorce and then then I was really mean at that point. You'd have to ask Taker about that or maybe Joe. I was really I was mean and I'd go out at night and get drunk and I was really getting kind of mean. So it was time for me to go home and you know recharge everything up and and, and look at things and get it going on the right foot. But that's what happened to Papa Shango. Hey, I no what, no like better way to recharge days. than to go to Cheetahs. <laughs> I had to get back home and get into my elevator again. Yeah. You know, and you, you say and that we've. They would call me, but this, probably because of Taker. Taker wanted somebody to hang out with or something. I don't know. But they would call me and say, hey, you ready to come back? And I'd say, no. And then they'd say, well, let us know when you're ready to come back. And then uh, they'd call me and say, you ready to come back? And I'd say, I don't know. And then they'd say, okay, we got you now. And then they came up with that comma gimmick, which I didn't really want to do. And then I didn't like that. And then I think I left again. And then I came back again, and I was supposed to be Papa Shango. That's a whole other story. I came back. I was supposed to be Papa Shango, like a newer version of Papa Shango, not so cartoonish. And uh, Jerry Lawler had painted them. People don't know that Jerry Lawler is a hell of an artist. Jerry had painted my face on. It was much more menacing and everything. And just before everything, I'm find out who I'm working for. They call me and say, hey, or they tell me, Vince wants to see you. And I'm like, what do you mean Vince wants to see me? And I go in there and Vince tells me, change the plan, Charles. We're going to put you in the nation. You and Ron Simmons are going to do a handicap match against The Undertaker, and you're going to go over The Undertaker in the middle. And I'm like, what? And that's what happened. That's, that's how that's how, that's how Kama happened, or Kama Mustafa. I found out that day, and the reason they did that is because back then, I don't remember if you remember, Joe, but they didn't turn the lights off for anybody. Papa Shang was the first person that they would completely right. turn the lights off dark, and they were afraid to do it. Insurance flies or somebody got hurt. Okay, but I was the first one that they, they turned the light completely off. They'd light somebody on fire or something, all right? So when I came back, they that's when they brought Kane out. And they didn't, this is what I heard, they didn't want two characters like that busted out at the same time, so they went with Kane, which yeah. worked out really well. They, they, <laughs> they worked out well for both of you no, guys in the they, end, yeah. They, they do stuff like that, though. They not... Because I got to become the godfather, so. But yeah, I was going to come back as Papa Shango. Wow, well, good thing you came back as a godfather. <laughs> so, yeah, you... <laughs> You know, you, you mentioned you mentioned The Undertaker a, a lot, and I was, you know, you guys both being Hall of Famers, I was trying to go back and think because, you know, you were inducted into the Hall of Fame as the Godfather. You weren't inducted as Charles Wright. You weren't inducted as a member of the nation or Papa Shango. They inducted you in as the Godfather. And going back and looking at it, you know, as, as far as, I guess, kayfabe goes, the Undertaker's time is coming when he's going to get inducted into the Hall of Fame. Oh yeah. How is how do you guys see that going to where I mean 
I guess who gets in or who who's going to be up there giving the speech when that day comes? Oh, bro, you can pick it. I mean, no, no, I'm talking about as far as the the man as far the, the inductor. No, I'm talking about him when Undertaker is there. I know they're going to say you know the Undertaker's going in, but as far as you know, uh, who's up there giving that speech? Is Undertaker? Is it Mark? I mean, how how do you guys see that day playing out when he's I up think, there? I, I think I would assume you'd see Mark Calloway. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think so too. I think Mark, because everybody knows that and that setting is very much a human setting. You know what I mean? You don't have yeah. to stay within your gimmick. It's, it's just like when, when Hawk and I got brought in there and, you know, Ellering put that Hawk figure on the, on the podium, bro. I freaking start lost and almost start crying on stage. You know, it's a human thing. Even though the Hall of Fame is what it is, it's still in our business, man. It's nice to be recognized for, I mean, Charles will tell you, man, there's been some years you got 250, 300 days a year on the road. I mean, you know, you're away from your family. You you know, hell, I think in our stint there in the WWF, I I was with these guys more than I was with my own family. You know, I remember doing 275 days and shit like that. I mean, doubles and and running two tours over in in England at one time and double shots and weekend shots and that. You do 275 days a year, man. But yeah. I, I don't know about you, but I loved it, man. I, I was having the time of my life. Oh, yeah, believe me, there's plenty to do on the road. I'll tell you that right now. I mean, either, <laughs> you know, but but there was some really brutal shots. I mean, I remember one time doing a Tokyo shot for WWE, taking the red eye from Tokyo to Honolulu, wrestling in Honolulu, taking the red eye from Honolulu to L.A., getting L.A., sleep during the day, wrestling L.A., take the red eye from L.A., or the chartered plane, and go to Madison Square Garden the next day. Yeah, that's oh, yeah. People, that's the kind of schedule you keep. Realize, Joe, do they still work like that or no? No, no, they don't do they don't do schedules like that anymore. They they split the guys up, and the guys now are so pampered. You know they yeah. Well, they they make most of their money from ancillary stuff. You know the really the money from cereals and the, and the action figures and everything else. That's where they pay most of the guys from. Oh wow! They get well, bigger, they get well they get bigger checks from that than they do the wrestling. What Godfather merch was out there back in the day? What what's that? What Godfather merchandise was out there back in the day? What were oh, what it, merchandise it, were you it, making it, money off of? That's how I was getting the show That's how I got paid off my merchandise. They had a lot of Godfather merchandise. Joe, I don't know if you remember, but back then, way back then, um, there wasn't no internet. There wasn't no catalog service there wasn't yeah. all this stuff in social media and so to sell your shirts they sold them in the building yep. and so for you to make money your shirt had to be in the building well there was an undertaker shirt there was a hunter shirt there was a you know stone cold shirt there was a rock shirt there was only so many shirts that you think they had well i finally got a shirt in there and they started with the pimpin ain't easy shirt and from that point on, I always had a shirt at the shows. So, I mean, they, they did, they probably did 10 Godfather shirts. They've probably done five or six, seven Godfather dolls, about the same amount of Papa Stongo. So, no, there was a lot of merchandise. There's a lot. Dude, I, it's like the gift that keeps giving. I mean, I just I just got a royalty check. You should have too, Joe, a couple of days ago. Oh, yeah. You give them all the time. Still. 
and uh, because they sell stuff over in the UK, they have a big I, warehouse I really, in the UK. Oh I yeah, get my, I get my royalty checks, and I'm like, wow, it's been that long, and I'm still getting money like this. I know, bro. After this many years, and people still love it. Well, you know, they have a couple big warehouses over in the UK, and of course, Charles, will tell you, our gimmicks are more popular in the UK. Really, they probably are here in the US. And uh, you know, really? I, I'm, you know, yeah, I get, I get emails and stuff on Facebook from guys from Italy and Brussels and Paris all the time. And uh, they buy all my stuff that I get on my marketing check is all UK royalty. It's all UK royalty. Yeah. Right. Hey, I'm not mad at him. Hey, man, as long as it keeps you know, coming, who cares, right? I, I, every time, you know, I love my gun, so I get to go uh I think I, I think I was meant to be a redneck. I don't know if there's I'm in the trunk. <laughs> Dogs, guns, people. If you really got to know, you'd be like, hey, is, that, is that really the Godfather? I got a lot of country boy in me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so here we sit. It's We're, we're closing out in 2018. Do you ever see the Godfather coming back in any kind of role in the uh, WWE? No. no. <laughs> Godfather's no. retired. No managerial role, anything Godfather's like that? No. No. <laughs> My life has gone in a different direction now. Uh, you know, with cannabis now being legal in Vegas, Ooh. I'm a big cannabis advocate. So uh, oh, I'm yeah. working on branding and doing some stuff with that. And uh, I'm going a different way. I do appearances now and then. Uh, the WWE calls me every now and then to do uh, appearances. But uh, I'm not looking to work or, or anything like that. My life's kind of gone in a different direction. Bro, that's, that's a, you know, I, I, I always say that's the next big business, man. Cannabis, next big thing. Yes, sir. It's going to be legal in all 52 states. And Charles loves his cannabis. I mean, we're sitting in a state right now, Joe, that's dead broke. Uh, needs money is, you know, uh, probably worse off than any other state in the country. And why that's not one make, thing. Exactly. Why not make it legal and tax it? Why? Exactly. I mean, it's stupid not to, right? And, and Charles, I, I, I don't believe they... I don't believe they legalized it in Vegas. It just came out of nowhere, went on the ballot in the past, out of nowhere. I'm and, like, whoa. And no, it's, I mean, I'm sure you've done done your research on it, too, as far as, you know, the, the benefits of it. Believe and, me, Charles has done yeah. extensive <laughs> research in cannabis. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, as far as going out and selling it and, you know, making, making money off of it, it's, you um, know, it's amazing how there are still people out there that are, that they, you know, that are fighting it. I... Let me tell you what cannabis has done for me. It got me off of pills. It, it, it got me off. I don't drink hardly at all. I might have a beer now. I used to drink a lot. I don't drink. I don't take pills. I'm a lot nicer person. At 56 years old, I look a lot younger than 56. My body's fine. I don't have the aches I don't have gout. I don't have high blood pressure. I don't have a dependency. You know? It has got it. Cannabis has got me away from all that. Plus, there's CBDs for health, too. Uh, I just had knee surgery a year ago, and I took no pain pills. I use CBD, their lotions, you know, and their remedies to, to help it. And I'm, I feel better now than ever, and I really contribute that to cannabis and the fact that I eat right now, I don't drink, I don't take pills, and uh, the proof's in the pudding. When you see me, Joe, you're going to be like, God damn it, Charles, you get younger every time I see you. No, I know, man. You look good all the time anyway, bro. Have you have you thought about reaching out to Vince to anybody in the WWE and just you know reminding them or telling them all the benefits that you've that you found from this? Um, I think 
as time goes on, I don't know about it in my lifetime, but as time goes on, I think if, if this does, I mean, it's hard for him to get behind something like that. But if he did, I'm sure he reached out to me. I mean, there, there wasn't just, what was it, about a year and a half ago that they, they suspended Roman Reigns for 30 days yeah. for, for that. Yeah, well, it's still not it's still on their well. I mean, it's right. not accepted there. So. Right. You know, if it you, does, I'm sure I'll be the first person they call. <laughs> well, if, 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 if they make it legal everywhere, they're not going to be able to have right. it on the wellness policy. So, I mean, you know. Yeah. But uh, I, I've got my hands full in Vegas right now anyway, man. I, I really, really, and I thank God for this, I'm really, really busy. And uh, that's why I can tell you, I'm, I'm not looking to wrestle. I, I, I won't even work in a ring anymore. I just don't want to take the chance of getting hurt, so. Yeah, me, me too, bro. That's why I don't even step in the ring unless I have to. Yeah, there's just, just, unless there's just no for me. Why? I mean, what, what what do you have left to do, man, Charles? I mean, you've been on the biggest stage. You're in the Hall of Fame. You've wrestled, you know, a lot of the top guys in our business yeah. ever, right? I mean, why why would you even need to? Yeah. Now, rewind. If I didn't have cheetahs and I wasn't doing well, then you might see my ass out there taking all type of bumps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, right? But 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 you, I mean. But thank God, I, I, I'm, I'm doing pretty good, thank God. I, I've, been, I've been down to that club, man. That's like the nicest. I was telling Joe, I've been down to that club. It's one of the nicest clubs I've ever been in. It's really good. Charles runs it right. And, uh, you know, I remember going down there, and we very first went down there. The respect he has, man, in that area of Vegas. Holy crap. It was like the red carpet rolled out, and here came Elvis. You know what I mean? Everybody knows Charles. Of course, it wasn't Charles. It was Bear. You know what I mean? Yeah. Once Bear comes walking in the bar, it was like E.F. Hutton, bro. People listen. <laughs> you know, it's you know, like. We used to do that there, Joe. We used to ride our, back in the early 80s, man, we used to ride our Harleys. I had, I'd ride my Harley inside of all the clubs. I would ride it inside the top of the club and then turn it off or leave it there. And then when it was time to leave, I'd start it up in the club and ride out the front door. And I swear to God, I did that. I'll That's funny, club. man. And, and the funny thing is, people wouldn't say nothing to me. They said, people used to let me get away with so much stuff. I don't know, probably because I was so big. But I was never a bully either, man. I was always a pretty cool dude. Yeah, well, you know, it's, a, it, it, it's an imposing thing. When you see Charles get off the Harley back dead when he was built like a brick shit house, you know, he, <laughs> what are you going to do? You, of course, you're going to say, yes, sir, park it anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I could. I remember some times with you and uh, the Beverly Brothers and all types of people in that other club I had on uh, in Vegas back in the day. You remember that? Oh, bro, my Lord. I'm not going to elaborate, but. No, man. You, 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 you could spend a week and a night in Las Vegas. You see, this the, the, the thing, you know, we need to get you guys together. We need to get you guys face-to-face -face next time we talk here and get you guys to elaborate because that's what's going to take, you know, that's what's going to take, you know, a couple thousand people to, like, hundreds of thousands of people tuning in and listening to this podcast, Charles, is when you elaborate on these stories. And maybe, you know, know. We, get, we get Joe in trouble for some of the stories that you tell on the show. That's, that's what we need to get here. I know, but my thing is, I don't <laughs> mind telling on myself, but I don't like telling on other people. And my stories usually end up with girls and stuff like that, and and sex and 
I, I don't <laughs> want to get I didn't have the funny stories. My stories always involve girls. Believe me. <laughs> I used, bro, I remember sometimes I used to hear the stories. What was that guy's name? That Mike guy? Remember Charles Mike? That owned the other club? Oh, Mike. Yeah, Mike. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he had that boat on, on the lake. And he'd invite everybody out there all the time, man, and it would be just loaded with like thirty freaking beautiful girls, all naked Bro, we on were, the boat. We were we were living like rock stars without the money, man. Jeez. Back then, it was just crazy. And, and I still, I mean, wrestling is crazy as well. But my topless bar, I started working in topless clubs in about nineteen eighty two. And back then, man, they were crazy. And I've done more crazy stuff in topless clubs than I've probably done on the road. So I'd probably give or take. But, man, that's where you want to hear the stories at the topless clubs. Oh, yeah, bro. Well, I, I remember that's where I met, the, you know, uh, you know, Hawk and Scott Norton and a bunch of the guys. We all worked at the same topless clubs in Minneapolis. I mean, that's... Back then, Joe, back then, we didn't have cell phones. You didn't yeah. have computers. You didn't have laptops. You didn't have none of that crap. The first thing we got were beepers, and so yeah, that's right, night, a beeper. Every night, the whole car just about would go to topless clubs every night, yeah, because that's what we did. I mean, we didn't all hang out together, but everybody went to the topless club. Why? Well, I, I said there wasn't no cell phones, computers, Xbox, PlayStation. There was none of that crap. And no. on top of that, too, well, you know, you, you mentioned the phones and everything like that. You know, let's let's say Seth Rollins goes out to a strip club after a Raw to, you know, in 2018. Someone's going to take a picture of that. Oh, they're going to put it up. Yeah, they're, it, it's going to be up online where you guys had the benefit of that. You, you know, you guys went there and maybe you hung out with some people. But in the end, nobody's Dude. taking pictures and posting them online. No, Thank but God. you know, every you know, and listen, we went there a because we enjoyed it, but b too. Another thing was the the guys that ran the topless joints they would not let a lot of the wrestling fans in, so it was a place for us yeah, to go and unwind and just. I mean, I remember you know Tigger, uh, Charles and I sitting there having a Jack Daniels and just chilling out and relaxing, and you know if, if you went to the nicer ones they would have a meal for you like the the place landing strip in Detroit. You'd get these oh, big, big, huge shrimp and prime there. rib from the guy, man, because it was a restaurant downstairs. God, they had good food there. It was awesome, man. Of oh, course, we ever, whenever we wanted yeah. to find food, all you had to do was follow Warlord. Warlord knew where all the food was. I mean, you know, Warlord was like 360. Yeah, so you know where everything was. <laughs> yeah, he was big. Well, Charles, next time we uh, next time we do this, we're gonna get in person and we're gonna uh, we're gonna get you and Joe to elaborate. That's gonna be the key word of the uh, of the next time that we uh, we end up meeting with uh, meeting up with you. Yeah, we'll elaborate on each other though. We won't elaborate on anybody else. <laughs> yeah. Get anybody else get yeah, heat I, out of you. Know. <laughs> I, I can't do that, man. Because I could get a lot of people in trouble, man. And I don't. I'm not into that. Yeah. But I will tell them. I have no problem telling all myself. <laughs> Charles, we appreciate it, man. Until next time, uh, take care. Yeah, Charles, thank, it, thanks a lot for taking time out of your day, bro. I know the busy schedule and what it's like. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you see him doing an appearance to you, you got to go visit the Godfather, bro. One quality Hello. human being, man. And afterwards, they could smoke one up with me. Exactly, bro. <laughs> Charles, <laughs> thanks a lot for coming on, bro. All right, guys. I'll see you later, man. All right, all right buddy.
And there he goes, the godfather, Charles Wright, with us here. That was, man, I, you know what? I, I had a few things I wanted to ask him when, we, uh, when I knew we were having him on. I didn't expect to go, for it to go in all those different directions that it, uh, that it did. That, you, that you was know, something man, else. I, you listen, we, we could really get elaborate and uh, have a crazy, crazy interview with Charles, but I, I got to respect the guy, man. He's so good, at, at, a lot like I, I am in a way. You, you got to protect the integrity of the other guys, and you got to clear the other oh, yeah. guys. You mind if we tell stories and all that. So, But uh, we, 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 <laughs> we just get a bunch of releases, man. We could have a bunch of funny stories i tell you i like to do is to get the godfather and the beverly brothers and myself and take her all on at one time well i tell you that would be a blast well i, was, I mean you know god i mean april down in uh down in new orleans we could set something up and get a bunch of guys together for a nice little round table and tell a whole hell of a lot of stories Bro, we could do the round table with the steiners and nasty boys me and midnight express is all tag team round table if you want yeah. I mean, it'd be a blast to do it down there. It's, uh, it, it's uh, you know, the, the stories are endless when you've had a 35-year uh, career in the uh, in the wrestling business like you uh, like you have and all the different stops along the way. Really, uh, really cool to catch up with uh, with a guy like the Godfather, though, and the uh, many uh, the many different faces that he had in the WWF. That's one thing. I mean, it, you know, it's one thing that, that I, I – I think I was telling your wife about at the time and something I've told people about that have asked me since then, uh, since I've started doing this. But at WrestleCade, you know, you look around. I'll use somebody that we talked to that night, um, Gregory Helms, Shane Helms. Sure. Uh, you know, he had the few different – he was in WCW. He was in the WWF. And then suddenly he becomes Hurricane Helms. And that took off. You, you teamed him with, with Rosie. You, and – you know, you you have that that gimmick that worked for him, and now he's at these conventions in the green with the mask on, doing the the superhero moves. And yeah, was he a good wrestler in WCW and WWE before he was the Hurricane? Absolutely, mm. he he was a cruiserweight champion. But it's that one thing that they're now known for. Someone like Rikishi. Yeah. How many different things did was Rikishi hey. before he? Dyed the hair blonde and put on the sumo uh, yeah, suit. Yeah, is one of the comes from a long line, the good lineage of uh, Hawaiian wrestlers, the Samoans. And when he became Rikishi, you know, kind of followed in the footsteps of Yokozuna. Mm-hmm. It was awesome, and he's still good, man. Kishi's one of the greatest guys around. Uh, we're gonna have to get him on the show. I've already talked to him. Yeah. He said he'd love to come on the podcast. He was talking. I mean, the, just standing there. I mean, because at the time, I, I, when we uh, just you know a little, you, you could go back in the archives when we did the uh, watch along for the uh, for the DX uh, the pay per view when we were talking stories about Brian Christopher. I'm sitting there. You know, we're all waiting for Brian Christopher to do his push ups to get ready for a picture because <laughs> he didn't want to he didn't want to stand next to Billy Gunn in his arms uh, with the, before doing push ups. And Rikishi's sitting there talking to me. I had met him 30 seconds prior to that. Yeah. He's talking to me as if I've known him for 20 years. I, it was yeah. I, he was so welcoming and such a cool guy to, to talk to. Bro, that, that, that's that's a Samoan blood, bro. Mm-hmm. The Samoans are great people and they're good guys. And, you know, they're they're great until you, t- you, yeah. you cross them. Don't cross the Samoan boy because you will pay for it. But yeah. Yeah, Kishi's a great guy. I mean, you know, Hawk and I had a lot of great matches with he and Samu when they were the Samoan SWAT team and the Wild Samoans. Yeah. And 
and stuff like that. But uh, you know, I tell you, that Brian Christopher is a funny son of a gun. Yeah, he oh Isn't god he yeah, funny, bro. He had me cracking but, up. He's always been like that. I don't know why Brian's not the guy at the comedy club being a stand-up comic because Brian is funny. Got to be a lot funnier than Mankind or Jake Roberts. I mean, Brian is freaking hilarious. It, you know, just the the sea and all of the gimmicks that it took. You know, you know, knowing the, you know, knowing from a fan standpoint, watching these guys and knowing what it took to get to yeah. that popular gimmick that put them over and made them, you know, made them the money that they that they made in the business. Just need that break, Joe. right? Just, you just need needed that, that for that. And you know, someone like The Godfather, he was, you know, he was in main events. He 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 interfered in the main event of Hulk Hogan and Sid Justice at WrestleMania. He was out there for that. He was in main events with Bret Hart with the Ultimate Warrior, and that never took. It took him becoming himself and coming up with a with with the Godfather character. That finally put him over the top, and he never main evented. He never main evented a pay per view as the Godfather, but everybody that is a wrestling fan remembers the Godfather. Hey man, you know, the Charles was a good. Charles was a guy. You know, when I first met Bear, I'm telling you, Joe, biggest barrel chested guy that I've seen. You know, you remind me of Bruno Sammartino. Bruno wasn't a huge guy, but he had a big old barrel chest, but. Bear was huge. Charles was a monster, man. And uh, when he took us down to the strip clubs in Vegas at one time, it was like a freaking free-for-all party. It was awesome. He, he definitely was like the Pied Piper. <laughs> you know. But, uh, yeah, man, he's good people, man. You know, in this business, you do come along with some guys uh, that are great guys, good people. And, like I said, Taker and Charles. And Charles right up, he's right up on there on the top of the list, man. He's a good guy. Well, we, uh, we will continue the stories next week. Uh, follow us on social media to find out who we plan on having on for next week's episode, as we will also take your questions. We had a lot of fan questions that we've been piling up. We will take care of those next week on the show, whether you tweeted us at what a rush pod. If you uh, go to our Facebook page, which is the Water Rush podcast with Road Warrior Animal James Laurinaitis, or you can James Laurinaitis, Joe Laurinaitis. I'm what sorry. What the hell is wrong with you, bro? James Laurinaitis, it's Joe Laurinaitis, bro. Hey, as long as you say Laurinaitis, <laughs> that's the first time I've done that. It's that's right, the first bro. time hey, that I've done what, that. What did I do a couple weeks ago? I, I said spent, something stupid. I spent the first, you know, the last eight years of my radio career. Six of those covering James uh, with the Rams, and that is the first time that I let that slip. Yeah. Hey, and My listen, goodness. Listen, bro, I wish I was 30 years old again, so go ahead. Hey, you know what? It's not like, you know, it's <laughs> it's not like he didn't have himself a damn good career anyway. So, it's, yeah. yeah. He, he, he did all right. He did all right, man. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you go on the Facebook page or email us at uh, roadwarriorpodcast at gmail.com to send those questions in. We'll have a lot of those to go over with next week for our first podcast of 2018. But until then, we hope all of you have a very safe new year. And, Joe? Yeah, man. Be safe, people. Be safe out there. And remember, oh, what a rush. See ya.